Welcome to our Polaris podcast. I am Jeremy Whitbeck, a partner of the Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, and we have with us Jeff Powell. Jeff is our managing partner and chief investment officer. Jeff, it's great to talk to you today. It's great to be here. So Jeff, really looking forward to uh, going over some of the uh, news that just dropped recently. And the big one that's hitting the headlines that's really got everyone talking is our jobless claims. So we actually uh, have hit uh, record lows. And so I wanted to, I guess, get uh, your thoughts and comments and kind of a summary of what uh, was just reported recently and some of the trends that uh, we've been seeing around that area. Well, it's uh, we saw weekly jobless claims uh, come out today. They were 199,000, um, which if you kind of think about it, that sounds like a, a really big number, but it's actually the lowest level that we've seen on a, a weekly jobless uh, claim statistics since 1969. Uh, so it's really quite uh, remarkable, uh, the recovery, uh, this kind of really dovetails into a few of the things that we've talked before about, about job openings and wage increase and things of that nature. So really uh, what this is really talking about is the fact that, that we're starting to see, you know, not only people going back to work, we are seeing a little bit of the shuffling of the deck, so to speak, of where people are working and what they're doing. Uh, which I think we're going to still see for a little while due to the you know, the reopening of our economy and, and people trying to, to figure out do they want to do what they were doing beforehand. It uh, kind of gives them a, a hard restart. Uh, but having these numbers drop to the levels that they are, uh, so the, the number of people, excuse me, the number of people that are now uh, taking uh, unemployment at this point is down to 2.4 uh, million people, which is, again, quite low. Uh, we're, we're looking at unemployment low wages increasing, a number of, of factors that are all kind of coming together. And Jeff, this is one of those areas that people really uh, watch closely. And oftentimes there can be a strong reaction in the market, especially if the numbers come in um, contrary to what was expected, especially to the negative. Why is this such an important statistic for the U.S. economy? Well, this is all about, you know, again, getting people back in the jobs. I mean, we've, we've had uh, discussions about supply chain issues we've had discussions uh you know talking about the impact of that well one of the ways that you solve uh, some of these issues that we have is, is really having full employment within the united states and so we obviously can't control what's going on with covid abroad you know we're seeing another resurgence going on in europe germany is talking about possibly shutting down there's a couple other countries that are talking about uh, possibly shutting down mandatory vaccines, a number of other things that have been considered uh, in Europe. Obviously, we've already talked and heard about what went on in Malaysia and Vietnam in particular, and those impacts, uh, if you saw, uh, for example, uh, Gap Store's earnings uh, yesterday were horrific, and uh, the reason why they were so bad was because uh, Vietnam stayed shut down as long as they did. And so you saw the company have to go to other sources in order to have product in order to sell that have very different margins. And so again, within the United States, the impact of this is really, again, about this. So our jobless claim numbers uh, continuing to, um, to see a jobless rate dropping means our unemployment numbers that, that uh, are, will be coming in soon should be significantly lower. Our October numbers are down to 4.6%. Uh, so at this point, really, um, we're really looking at uh, uh, wanting to see uh, continued strength within those numbers. The other side of it that's, that's kind of interesting also is that 
know, the more people working, the more people spending. The more people spending, the greater the GDP. And that, you know, again, given the strength of our GDP and some of the worries could potentially uh, come into effect with uh, seeing further uh, inflation. And that's, I mean, that's interesting. That's something that we've talked a lot about recently is the impact of inflation and some of the forces that have been uh, is pulling uh, higher inflation. Why would the uh, jobless claims indirectly tell us that there might be either continued inflation or further inflationary pressure? What What is the cause and effect that happens there that, uh, that could cause inflation? Well, I mean, again, all these things kind of dovetail. I mean, uh, basically, when you're talking about uh, inflation and the inflation that we've got right now, a lot of it has to do with, you know, having, you know, physical product in place based upon the demand that was going on. But we talked a little bit about some of the impacts of COVID it had on uh, things like meat products and food products. Uh, those are a direct relationship to not having enough people uh, working. Uh, to be able to process food in a timely enough manner in order to get it to market, in order for uh, for it to be at the stores. So again, direct impact on that, you know, is again, going back to the unemployment, not necessarily a jobless claim, uh, but jobless claim and unemployment really kind of walk hand in hand. The other side of it, again, is um, is looking at just basic wages. So we've got wage increases that are, are well above the 40-year, 50-year averages. Uh, the average is around 4% or slightly over 5% with wage increase, which sounds fantastic on one side. But when you have an, uh, when you've got uh, an inflation rate at 6.2%, uh, almost six and a quarter, you're still losing up to inflation. Uh, but you've got people with more money in their pocket chasing lesser goods, uh, going back to work. And, you know, again, uh, it creates an inflationary pressure just based on simple supply and demand. Gotcha. And that goes back to kind of that demand pool uh, inflation that we talked about earlier. Um, and then this being coupled with some of the, the uh, supply constraints that have occurred as countries and factories have shut down really helped to explain a lot of what's uh, been going on there. And so if we kind of take a step back and we look at all of this, um, obviously this is a very good sign uh, for the U.S. economy. It suggests that uh, things are continu continuing to work as planned and getting people back to work. What are some of the things that we should be looking for to uh, to just confirm that the recovery is on track, that we're not going to slip into a second wave of, uh, I guess, uh, similar to what we had in 2020, but the second wave of things really, uh, I guess, melting down, if you will. What are some of the data points that are on your mind and the our analyst team's mind that they're looking for confirmation of this continued strength that we've seen? Well, we've, we've talked a lot about this before, Jeremy, and, and, and really what it really comes down to is it's all about COVID and COVID rates. We are actually seeing on a global basis uh, a resurgence. It's certainly not at levels uh, that we saw over the summer uh, or in the spring, uh, but we're almost having what would be considered a fourth wave. So we had our initial uh, start to the pandemic, everybody shut down, but so as uh, we got into winter of last year, we saw all-time high numbers, and then things started to fall off in the spring. Uh, they resurged, you know, in late spring, fell off, resurged again in the summer, and then fell off. If you're looking at it on a global basis, um, we're starting to see another surge, just like we were talking about with Germany, with, with you know, a number of, of other countries that were very reliant on uh, from a 
supply chain situation. We are, we are um, obviously one of the largest, we are the largest spinners in the world and we import way more than we export. And even with the things where, that we are manufacturing here in the United States or making here in the United States, we're very, I truly mean very reliant on you know, product from other places. So even if you're talking about a, a Ford or a GM that's being manufactured here in the United States, doesn't mean all the parts are, it means it's being assembled here. And so that's one thing that I think that people need to kind of, again, keep their head around is that the, how globally interlocked we are with so many other economies and the impact that that can have uh, on, you know, corporate earnings, on unemployment, things of that nature. I mean, we've got uh, variations that are make things very complicated. So to sit there and point at one thing, I mean, the, the biggest thing that I'm going to be looking at is our vaccination rates. Our, um, are we going to see another surge as a result of going into winter? And being in closer proximity around the holidays, things of that nature. Uh, obviously, those things can have a much larger impact where people are afraid to go back to work or they don't want to go back to work in a specific area of the market that exposes them more to, to the general public. Uh, those are the types of things that we really want to be looking at in the impact. But really, from there, it goes back to just simple economics. You know, where are we seeing our economy grow? How much is it growing? Is it growing? in a sustainable non-inflationary way or is it are we still seeing a resurgence i mean we saw obviously used car sales were a huge factor with the, with our consumer price index going up as much as it was because there's not enough cars being manufactured uh to be able to, to provide new ones you know, unless you're willing to wait months and months for a new car to get to you you're going out and buying a used car which sent uh used cars up double digits month over month, uh, you know, for multiple months. Uh, so it's uh, at levels where, you know, basically they were more expensive than in some cases, new cars were. It's just kind of crazy to sit there and think about. So all these things interlock together. Uh, we want to sit there and make sure that we're not uh, trying to oversimplify, which I think a lot of investors uh, run into is, is um, they'll try to oversimplify and say that one thing is the, the thing to, to sit there and, and drive um, the decision making that they have. And that's really not what it's about. I mean, we can sit there and look at things uh, where, you know, if there's recessionary pressures and things like that, that can certainly have an impact on how we go about making decisions. Because obviously, if the economy is shrinking, you're making very different decisions than if the economy is growing. So, broader based things, yes. But right now, we don't look like we're anywhere close to that. What we're worried about more is valuations, making sure that we have you know, um, companies that are able to avoid uh, a rising interest rate environment, which we're obviously in at this point, uh, and to make sure that we miss some of these uh, landmines like your your gaps and, and uh, your Nordstroms of the world that uh, have gotten hurt. But also, a lot of the things that were working, you look at like a Teladoc, for example, or a Zoom, uh, those companies have gotten crushed over the last several months as people uh, don't see the same need that they once had for those products. Yeah, and Jeff, uh, I mean, that's really uh, an interesting area, which is that a lot of what was working at the beginning of last year and or the end of last year, certainly not uh, necessarily working anymore as expectations uh, change and 
perceptions realign based on the changes in how the world has responded to COVID. So with, uh, and I, I realize this is a little bit different uh, than what we were first talking about, but with that in mind, uh, do you mind sharing with us a little bit of where do you see future trends potentially pushing the markets towards? Are there any areas of the market or any industries or sub-industries that look like they might be geared for the latter part of this year and the beginning part of next year? Well, the, the obvious out there uh, is with a, a huge infrastructure bill that's being, you know, that was passed is uh, how that money gets applied. And uh, so industrials would make a lot of sense. Um, as we see uh, the yield curve steepen, uh, things like financial companies uh, are looking pretty interesting. Um, so, I mean, obviously technology has been a driving factor. The problem with a lot of the technology uh, companies that are out there is that they're priced to perfection. And if they're not continuing to deliver or deliver in a way that uh, um, that really supports the multiples that they're trading at, I think you'll, you'll see a little bit more disappointment there. But we're really eyeing um, financials and industrials as, as kind of the leaders of in, in the next year. Healthcare also looks pretty attractive. Uh, the, the bigger issues is if you look at the number of companies uh, that have been listing out supply chain, uh, you know, not only as an issue, but also looking at it uh, as a, a overall mechanism uh, to having impact on earnings. Supply chain, you know, the, the most mentions are in industrials, next largest in information technology. Uh, so, I mean, there are things out there. Of the 500 companies um, that are obviously in the S&P 500, 342 of them cited supply chain uh, in an earnings call. That's the highest that it's ever been, period. Uh, you, you've seen it typically in the 120 to 150 range. You've got more than a doubling of that. And it obviously has gone up and gone up sizably uh, in just the last few months. So. It's really, you know, we, we want to be cognizant of uh, the issues that are, are continuing to pop up. There are lots of landmines out there. And uh, and often cases, the, the indexes aren't necessarily reflecting uh, the challenges that are out there in the market. Yeah, well, in, in line with all that, and I like that phrase that you use, that a lot of the tech stocks are priced to perfection, is just the, the valuations being assigned to certain markets. We're, we're definitely seeing a polarization where uh, there's a segment of the market that seems appropriately and attractively priced, and then in segments of the market that seems uh, really uh, quite extremely overvalued at the moment. And I mean, anyone can look at some of these high-flying tech names and see what we're referencing. We're they're priced to perfection, to your point, meaning as if they'll continue to grow at some of the rates that we saw during COVID, which um, I think any reasonable person would say that's probably not a realistic assumption because there's an unprecedented level of demand during uh, COVID for some of the services, which just won't remain because uh, eventually things will start to go back to normal if they haven't already, and it should have an impact on their ability to grow. What, um, I guess, this is something that you talked a lot about, but for those that aren't aware, what is, uh, from a holistic perspective, looking like the more attractive area of the market and has a better, I guess, runway to grow, so to speak? Yeah, I would go back to exactly what I was just saying. I mean, if you're, if you're looking at, uh, what you want to be looking at within this is kind of a, a twofold thing. What you want to be looking at not only uh, where uh, there are some runway uh, valuation, but you also want to be looking at uh, where you see potential growth in the future as well. 
And so really that's one of the bigger things that we're uh, trying to stay in front of is not only uh, proper valuation, but also proper growth, right? And so if you're really looking at, at certain areas, you know, next 12 month earnings growth, uh, you are seeing uh, some serious interest within some of the areas of materials. Again, if industrial, if we have this huge uh, infrastructure update, you're going to need basic materials in order to do that. Industrials look really tr attractive. Um, as people continue to have more and more money, uh, they'll spend it. So consumer discretionary looks pretty attractive at this level uh, as well. A little, little expensive, but what we're trying to do is not necessarily look at the particular sectors and be scared off by a sector uh, based upon the average uh, that they're trading up, but to go in and find the really high quality ones that are still trading at a reasonable price. And so we're not buying indexes, we're not buying market, we're buying companies within it and trying to really uh, be um, you know, on top of it. I think just as important is to understand the areas that you don't wanna be involved with. And so in a rising and straight environment, you know, one of the things to keep in mind is that companies that are really debt ridden, especially ones that have short term revolving debt are gonna be, you know, they're gonna have their margins compressed. And a compressed margin typically means it's a drop in stock price. Uh, so again, if it costs you more to borrow on a short-term basis, then you're going to have that come back and bite you. And then the other area that really uh, in a rising interest rate environment and in an inflationary environment are companies that are not able to pass on the additional uh, costs that they're incurring onto the end client. So in an inflationary environment, it can be the inflation to a company or it can be an inflation to, uh, to the end user. And so if I'm able to, for example, pass on um, you know, 100% of, of the increased cost to you, then it doesn't impact my, my margins. And hopefully my growth pattern still remains the same. There's demand uh, for my product. But on a just plain and simple statistical basis, if I had a $10 product and it's now $11, if you're just looking at, at simple supply demand and how economics work, I should be selling less of that product um, but, you know, again, it's still having uh, solid margins. What you are seeing going on right now is I've got a $10 product. I was, let's say I was making $2 on it before and my prices got increased and I keep my $2 margin, uh, but the dollar increase I pass on to use. So now I've got an $11 product with $2 worth of margin. If we're looking at it in a slightly different way, if all of a sudden, uh, the price goes up you know, for me to manufacture something by a dollar and I can't pass that on to you. I still have a $10 product. I'm now making a dollar, not $2 off of it. That hurt my earnings. Uh, so now I've got a $10 product that I'm making a dollar off of. You're going to buy the same of it. So on that side, things don't change much, um, but it hurts my earnings. And those are the types of companies that you also want to avoid. Companies uh, where they're in such a competitive, almost commoditized, environment that they really don't have uh, much ability to pass on that additional cost to their end client. Got it. And that that certainly makes a lot of sense. And so kind of that effective moat, if you will, around their earnings that uh, they can remain protected and then also have a growth target that's uh, reasonably priced within the stock. Um, so Jeff, um, always appreciate uh, your insight and expertise here. I mean, I think the underlying tone though is that things look healthy um, overall, but uh, certainly want to be uh, mindful of the types of securities that you have because not everything's priced equal and there are some things that are 
reasonably priced and look attractive. And then there are things that are uh, pretty atrociously overvalued right now. And uh, if people aren't careful, if uh, earnings start to slip or other factors start to deteriorate, we could see a sizable correction in those areas of the market. So <laughs> thanks. And with that said, Jeff, uh, really uh, want to thank you just for always taking the time with us, going over some of these things that uh, um, get thrown around in the media, but not necessarily uh, given the proper context of how to interpret it. And to all of our listeners, really appreciate the time that you spend with us. Appreciate uh, you uh, giving us your ear to uh, listen to some of the things that we're uh, paying attention to and we are uh, considering as we make investment and portfolio decisions. And so to everyone, um, have a wonderful Thanksgiving and as always, be happy, be safe and be healthy. Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, is a federally registered investment advisor. The information, statements, and opinions expressed in this material are provided for general information only and are subject to change without notice. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, is not intended as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security, and is not intended as individual or specific advice. It should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, if necessary, seek professional advice. Polaris Wealth does not offer professional, legal, or tax advice. All information contained herein is believed to be accurate, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. Diversification does not assure a profit or protect against loss. Investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. No advice may be rendered by Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, unless a client service agreement is in place.